0: What's up, guys? I'm going to choose podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at NBA on Twitter. Um, Hold on, give me a second. Sorry. Okay, the lottery just happened. Ping-pong balls have been drawn. Uh, I'm very happy to introduce Dean DeMarcus of DeanOnDraft.com. He is a draft analyst that's been scouting NBA prospects for several years. Dean, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Uh, Thanks for having me
0: we have to spend the first part of the discussion on the lottery which just happened last night It is by far one of the dumber and most consequential events on the NBA calendar, determines the fate of all the worst teams in the NBA, and this year the Rockets had 50-50 odds of falling to the fifth pick in the draft, 60-40 odds of falling out of the top three completely, and they landed at the tail end of pretty much exactly where you want to be at number three. So let's start with this, Dean. I've been describing this draft as having no consensus number one overall pick but a very consensus tier one of Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith Jr., and Paolo Banquero. So, like, I look at where Houston landed yesterday, and if you're a Rockets fan, my feeling is kind of, you can't be mad. Like, you're in the top three. The only thing uh, anyone can agree on is that the best player from the draft is going to be one of these three players, and all you're left to do is sit back and let Orlando and OKC pick for you. Has that been kind of your feel?
1: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. I think you're looking at three guys who are, you know, maybe low tier to average number one picks in an average year. And then after that, the draft falls off a cliff. So, you know, just getting one of those three is what matters the most. So landing in the top three is definitely a big win for the Rockets any of those guys is going to be a really exciting pickup to add to their core. So I think it's definitely a good night for Houston because, you know, and Orlando and Oklahoma City could make bad picks too, and they could end up getting the best player out of the three because I think any of those guys, three guys, could be the best player in the draft, and any of them could be the weakest of at least that that group of three.
0: Yeah, I agree. and I, I generally feel like there's a swift drop-off drop off after number three, uh, and it seemed like for a while like there was a consensus number 1 at the beginning of the year which was like Chet Holmgren then it became Paolo then it became Jabari and then Paolo kind of faded away from the conversation at least nationally then at the end in the, at the tournament level he made a swift run back into that top tier and now all we can agree on is like it's it's going to be one of these three guys it's going to be one of these three guys and we just kind of have to figure out who it's going to be and I thought it was gonna be one of those drafts where, like, okay, you these teams are probably gonna pick who fits them best out of the top three if they land in the top three. And at that point, you're just you're just left at number three to just let these teams make the decision for you. And that kind of takes away some stress because there's no overthinking. You're like you're literally just reacting uh, to what these teams do. Uh, I realize this is kind of an impossible question, but how do you think this goes? Like, every mock draft I've seen so far has Jabari going number one to the Magic, Chet going number two to the Thunder, and Paolo falling to Houston at number three. Is that kind of how you see this going?
1: Uh, I don't know. I think it's hard to know what teams are thinking. If I'm Orlando, I'm picking between uh, Jabari, Smith, or Paolo because uh, you know, they already have so many bigs, and, you know, Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr., uh, Jonathan Isaac, if, if he ever plays. And, you know, Chet, Chet is going to be better than those guys pr- a significant amount of the time, but, you know, you need – they only have one wing in Franz Wagner, and, you know, you always you can't have too many wings in the NBA. So um, I, if I'm them. I'm picking between Paolo and Jabari Smith, and I'm probably leaning towards Paolo because – you know, they don't, they don't really have a number one creator, and I think Paolo can be that number one creator guy, whereas Jabari has more reliable um, a more reliable three-and-D skill set with some creation upside. So I would pick between those two for, for, for that pick. And then uh, number two, I could see, I, I think Paolo would be kind of weird for Oklahoma City because they already have two offensive hubs in uh, Shea Gildas Alexander and Josh giddy so uh for for them, a guy who has a better three and D skill set like Jabari Smith or Chet Holmgren, I think would make sense. And then the Rockets, you know, anybody makes sense. Uh, you know, I think Chet Holmgren and Sengun would be an awesome pairing. Uh, you know, Jabari Smith pairs awesomely with almost anybody because he's a six ten three and D guy and then uh, you know, Paolo and Sengun could could be a little bit weird, but it could work. So uh I think, you know, and obviously, Houston's just going to take whoever's available in the three, and they're going to be really happy with it.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like that's kind of, that's exactly how I added rank. I, I had for Houston specifically. I thought Chet was the guy. I thought Jabari was a you know somebody I would take if I were the number two pick, and then Paulo. I mean. In this position, if, if Paolo falls to them, you have to take it and just figure it out later. And that's kind of my vision for them. Uh, if, if it ends up shaking how everybody else sees it, again, uh, the consensus right now, obviously mock drafts change all the time. Right now, I, I've checked four mock drafts. It's at Jabari number one, Chet number two, Paolo number three. So it seems like, you know... Most people seem to believe that Paolo will fall to Houston at number three. Uh, I I actually went back and I looked at your big board. You had Paolo number one, Jabari number two, Chet number three, Shaden Sharp number four, Jalen Duran number five. And interestingly enough, Jaden Ivey falls out of the top five completely at number six. Uh, So let's start with this. Uh, as I said earlier, different people have different number ones, but the Polo crowd seems to be like the vocal minority, and I think he and Chet cause by far the most disagreement on Twitter. At least that's what I've seen. Um, and Jabari, interestingly enough, seems to be like a compromise candidate. Uh, why do you personally have uh, Paulo number one? And if he falls to Houston at number three, what should they look forward to? What kind of prospect are they getting in Paulo if that's the guy?
1: Yeah, I mean, Paolo just has a crazy intersection of height and creation ability because he's 6'10", and he can create off the dribble, and he can score from the levels, he can make uh, open threes, he can get to the line, he can make free throws, he can get to the paint, he can finish in the paint, and he's an awesome passer for 6'10", and on average, height and passing is, is a pretty great intersection because it means that you can create well for your size and. Uh, you know, it's a sign of good basketball intelligence, which means you can learn to play defense. So there, there are a lot of questions about Paolo's defense. Like, does he have the foot speed to switch on the perimeter? Uh, you know, there's some questions if his effort was always top level at, at Duke. So his defense is kind of a mixed bag, but because he has that size and basketball intelligence, he, he, and he still is athletic enough and moves decently enough, it's easy to see him becoming a good NBA defender down the road. Um and uh, he—it's it's hard to compare him to anybody because he's such a unique prospect. Uh, you, you know, I, a lot of the guys I wanted to compare him to—that um, maybe the more favorable comparisons—are guys like Jason Tatum or Grant Hill or Carmelo Anthony. But he's not really exactly like any of those guys. But I think you're looking for somebody who makes that similar type of impact and is just a, a little bit bigger.
0: I completely agree. Like I, th- that's that's how I view Paulo as a prospect. I I actually had him number two on my board. I had Chet number one, uh, but I thought Paulo possesses by far the most bankable star potential out of these top three. Where it's like, if I draft him, I'm not worried about what I'm going to get. Like I I, I know I'm going to get a very good basketball player, and I feel pretty comfortable in his star potential. Right. Like it, it may not it may not actualize, but. Out of these three, I feel like it has the safest potential to actualize, if that makes sense. Like I think his floor is so high because of his playmaking ability. His size is ridiculous. He has like the body of Blake Griffin already. Like he's 250, 610, uh, 71 wingspan, I think. Um, and off the dribble, the first step is legit. Like he's he's real. He's, he has a quick first step, gets the basket, creates separation, the side to side move it off the dribble. Uh, the package, the ball handling package as a whole, is just so polished for someone this big. It's ridiculous, like the body of Blake and the ball handling ability of like Jason Tatum. You know, perhaps not Jason Tatum right now, but Jason Tatum as a prospect. I mean, he he is off the dribble just better than anybody in this top five. I, I I'd even include Jalen Ivy in this conversation. Like I I think he he's a better ball handler than him. Uh, just because of his decision-making off the dribble. It surprised me how good he was as a passer in the tournament. Like that, the fact that he has that in his repertoire, like I wasn't watching him too closely up until tournament time. And then I, when at tournament time, I just saw these passes that he was making off the dribble. And it's like, oh, oh I didn't know this. I didn't know he had this. And yeah, the IQ is there for, for real. And I'm not sure if I'm as high on his defensive potential as maybe you are, but the size as a whole... And the intelligence is a safeguard from for him being truly terrible, right? Like I don't think he's gonna be, I don't think he's gonna be a sieve defensively, on off, offensively. I think he's ridiculous. I think he's he muscles his way to the basket a lot, and I, his his package is just so polished. But yeah, I'm I'm high on him as well.
1: Yeah, I I, I would agree with all of that, and and to me his defense is just kind of it, it could go either way. He could be you know a bit of a liability on defense or maybe even kind of bad, but I mean, so was Carmelo Anthony and Carmelo Anthony's first ballot hall of famer, you know, and um, I think that th- there is a possibility that, that he surprises and is, you know, a positive on defense. And that's when it, it, and his offense really works out. And that's when you really get a big win. Cause that's what happened with Jason Tatum is, you know, there was a lot of questions about Jason Tatum entering the draft because he wasn't always that efficient at Duke. Uh, you know, I remember watching it. I was, like, this guy gets blocked and stripped all the time, and he is this fluid, but he's not that explosive. But then, you know, in the NBA, his shooting comes around, his offense comes around, and he defends, and it's just such a big win. And I think Paolo could possibly follow that path and just be a, a little bit different, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree, and you know, I guess the worry that I see a lot, of, a lot of people raise with uh, Apollo is the athleticism, right? And I counter with like we just didn't get, see many opportunities for him to flash that athleticism. Like Duke was really slow on offense, and we didn't get to see m- many opportunities with him in the ball w- with the ball in his hands in the open floor. Like, and I just like to see more of that at the NBA level, and I'd argue that you know that quick first step is pretty much. The most important thing you can have as an offensive prospect, athletically, right? And he has that already. And if he has good transition ability, which I've seen in flashes uh, through watching his film, he I I think he can be a pretty good transition player, especially with his size and IQ. I think if he, uh, when you wrap all that in a package, I I don't think the athleticism is going to be too much of a worry. But where are you on that? Is that something that has you know, made you, giving you some pause on Paolo, or, or, or are you with me in that? I think it's kind of being probably too uh, raised too much. I would say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for, for for wings, how how many wings are really that athletic outside of LeBron James? You, you know, uh, for for wings, it seems like being fluid is more important than being explosive because it's just very rare that you get a guy who's six ten and is you know crazy explosive. And there's just so many examples, you know, like Jason Tatum was considered to be a more fluid than explosive guy coming out of the draft. And I, I still think he's more fluid than explosive. Uh, Carmelo Anthony seemed that way. And, um, you know, as long, the, the only thing you would have to concern is, is he going to be too slow to, to defend the perimeter? Because, you know, he's this very thick guy and, you know, his defense wasn't that great for Duke. So is he just going to be a guy who just gets roasted every time he gets switched on to a quicker player? That's the one thing that I would worry a little bit about, but I, he's not like molasses slow. He moves decently enough. So overall there's just so many strengths and he, and he is very fluid with the ball and he can't step around the defense and get to his spots on offense. So I, I don't think it's really a big concern.
0: And he's crazy coordinated. Uh, that's another uh, thing I've noticed while watching him, especially with the ball in his hands. And I, I would say another concern that I've seen raised, and I think that's actually a pretty legitimate concern, like the three point shooting. I th- I think he's going to be a good shooter. You know, I don't think he's going to be a great shooter. Like I think Jabari Smith Jr. is going to be an elite shooter and I think uh, Chet Homer is going to be a very good shooter. I think uh, Apollo is probably going to be a touch below those guys, but I think he's going to be a pretty capable shooter. Like if I were to map it out, I have pretty good confidence in him being a 35 to 36% three point shooter. Uh, my worry is the hesitancy, right? Like he's, he, he loves getting to that mid range jumper. That's like, that's like his favorite spot on the floor. And You know, you you look at guys like, you know, Tobias Harris, right? Tobias Harris is a guy who just, ever since he was drafted, teams have been trying to get him to shoot more threes, and he just is not comfortable out there. He just loves the mid-range jumper much more. And I guess my question with uh, Apollo is, like, what are we going to get? Like, is, is he going to be someone who can adapt at the NBA level and be more willing to shoot these threes, or is he going to be someone like Tobias where it's like it's going to be a constant work thing with him?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that was too bad of a problem for him. He shot 53% from two, I believe. Uh, maybe it's off by 1%. But if you look at, like, a lot of other similar players, I've, you know, mentioned like Tatum, Carmelo, those guys shot at a slightly lower percentage from two, two points. So, I, I mean, he takes his share of mid-rangers, but it doesn't seem like it, it's kind of an abnormal problem where he just can't stop taking mid-rangers to the point where it, you know, destroys his efficiency. So, I, I would say he was efficient enough at do taking mid-rangers that it's not something to worry about, and he does seem intelligent enough to be coachable, so I don't really think that's a major concern either.
0: Yeah, and I think the stroke looks good. Like I, I, I think it. You know, it's not. It's not a, a finished product yet. I think it's gonna be something that. Uh, he's gonna have to work on and perfect, but I think I think it looks good. I think it's a, it's a good basis point to to start with, and I think um, you know I I have confidence in him being a decent three point shooter. I just think you know the, like getting him to shoot a high volume is definitely something that I think will be kind of a tug of war with him in the NBA. I think you know uh, we've seen this a lot with players, but I think he he is someone who you know maybe gets too comfortable in one area, but I I don't think as you said like the mid range jumper is a problem with him. I think it's actually a weapon that he can actualize, especially when you're when you're talking about the top end of the draft. You have to picture these guys in high leverage playoff situations, and we've seen you know year in and year out that the mid range jumper, because teams try and take away the three pointer, becomes an incredible weapon to have. And uh, if he be beca- if he's an efficient guy at that, uh, obviously that's that's a great help for you in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because you get you also get fewer rim attempts, and you have to take more rim range shots in the playoffs. Because a lot of times that's just what's available.
0: Right. Yeah. And uh, as as we said, like I th- it's gonna be really just a matter of what what falls to Houston. Like I I think m- my suspicion is that uh, these mock drafts so far are right, and then Paolo is gonna be that guy, the guy that falls to three. Um, but I, you know, if I am Houston, I am actually rooting for Jabari Smith because I just think he's the cleanest, like least amount of work. That uh, out of any of these three prospects, uh, just just to, to make work like next to Shangoon, Jabari's gonna work beautifully. Uh, the three point shooting is something that the Rockets desperately lack, and uh, Jabari is I think going to be a an elite three point shooter at the NBA level. Uh, Chet, um, obviously, if he falls to you, you have to take him. Just not as clean of a fit. Uh, I it's I've have questions about what exactly his position is gonna be at the NBA level. I think. Uh, I'm not as worried about this the frame as other people are. I think it's kind of overblown. I think everybody when they come into the NBA, they add at least 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. Rarely have you seen a prospect, like an elite prospect, not work out because they're too skinny. I just I tried looking. I I couldn't find any. Right? Like it's like this player did not work out because they were too skinny. More likely, it's because of a variety of other factors. Right?
1: Yeah. Well, well, here's the devil's advocate to that. Who, who's been as skinny as Chet? who has succeeded in the NBA. Yeah, there aren't really good, any good. examples. Like Maybe Kevin Durant. Fam- <laughs> I mean, how good was the new bowl really? Um, right. Yeah. He, he, you know, he was just kind of like a, a you know, a minor role player. Um, and you know, the, the famous example is Kevin Durant had zero rests on the bench at the combine. But then if you look at Durant's um, college wait, I, he was listed at six, nine, two Oh four which is three inches shorter than Chet and still, I think, maybe 10 pounds heavier, and he was also a year and a half younger, so and he's also much more athletic and all this stuff, so, you, you know, Kevin Durant's, like, the big example of a skinny guy exceeding, and then Chet is several orders of magnitude skinnier than him, or at least one order of magnitude skinnier than him, so, you, you know, like, the, kind of the only other guy who's that skinny is been Poku, who I, I don't know, I mean, Chet's better than Poku based on you know everything. He just brings more basketball playing ability to the table, but we, we haven't seen somebody really um, succeed with his skinniness. On average, I do agree with the general point that being skinny is kind of overrated. And even if it is a big issue, I do think he can make a, uh, still make a, a good impact on defense because he just has great dimensions, great intelligence, and he can at least you know make the open three and open dunks and not do anything dumb on offense. So. Uh, you know, I think even if it does undermine him, you're still going to be left with a pretty good three and D role player.
0: Yeah, and and in watching film, I've just seen so many guys try and test the frame right at the college level, and just and just get e- eaten up by him. Right, he he is so tough, and he has a lot of good functional strength. And even when he does get beat down in the post, he has great timing on the shot blocking. It's like he would just you 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 just swat your right like at the basket and it's it's always really entertaining to watch uh because it's it's just something you shouldn't do you should not test this guy uh especially at the college level like i'm sure in the nba level uh there are going to be big men that test him all the time and are going to find great success at least at first but i thought it was pretty unwise for a lot of these guys to, to, to go at him and and see uh see what they can get because he's he's just much more he's much tougher and much smarter than he gets credit for uh, and I, I listen like I, I hear you I, I understand that he is unusually skinny I will also say that um, I, I still I've, I've tried looking I haven't seen a prospect at that like just fail specifically because their frame was just too slight like Porzingis is a guy I would say is actually a decent you know maybe you disagree I, I think he's actually a decent comp for Chet right and I think a lot of the, a lot of people point to point to guys like Porzingis is like, oh, this guy's injury prone because of his frame, and that's possible. I don't. It's it's hard. I don't know the sports science behind it, and I don't. It, it, I think even if I had the sports science behind it, I doubt that it's conclusive. You know, as to whether or not uh, your frame has much to do with how injured you get. But you know, I guess that's the counter example, right? Like this is a guy that's had success at the NBA level, but cannot get out of his way in terms of the injuries yeah
1: I mean even Porzingis was was not that skinny I mean he's a few inches taller he's listed at 7'3 but Draft Express has him as 230 pounds so he's still you know a little bit thicker and I mean it does uh actually this other side saying he was listed at 220 pounds on draft night um but regardless Porzingis was was a, a little bit thicker And, um, I mean, I think it would make sense that that a guy who's skinnier just is a little more injury prone. You know, you probably have, you know, skinnier bones and stuff like that and just can't take as much damage and as much wear and tear without breaking. But then you look at a guy like Poku, who I thought he was going to be a big injury threat. And even though he hasn't been very good, he has been uh, relatively healthy because, you know, Poku's just, you know, crazy skinny. And I think his brother had some surgery to have a calf removed or something so it's like maybe being brittle runs in the family but he, he hasn't had any major injuries in his two years at Oklahoma City where he's played you know not a ton of minutes but more than a thousand minutes each year
0: let's get to the reason I wanted to bring you on uh and and you know obviously I wanted to I wanted to talk lottery with you and these prospects but uh, th- this conversation between you I did you and I did spark uh, from something you tweeted that uh, I apologize by the way. I, I, I think I sparked some of this by quote tweeting your tweet. Uh, it, it did it did get a lot of backlash from Rockets Twitter, and uh, some sometimes I forget that it, you know Twitter can be kind of mob like. and i I didn't intend to get the mob on you. I just I just I just exp- I wanted to express my disagreement. Um, you tweeted uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, the following optimism for Jalen Green needs to be tempered because he's not going to be better than Devin Booker, and Devin Booker isn't anything special. And I took issue with that, and I basically said, uh, "I'm am uh, unaware of your past views on both these players, but I I disagree." And interestingly enough, uh, that would I that would I would say sparked uh, what I would describe as a measured back and forth between the two of us because. When you expanded on your opinion, I actually didn't disagree with what you were saying, but I did disagree. Uh, let's start here. Like, what? what where did you have Jalen in last year's draft? And like, uh, where? Where did? How did you feel on him as a prospect?
1: Uh, I had him eighth on my board last year uh, wow. just because basically I thought there were yeah. eight really good. Pro- I thought there were eight really good prospects last year, and I thought out of all of them, he yeah. was the weakest. And it, it was just because of the mold. It's not because he can't play. Like, obviously, he's incredible with the ball. He's super explosive. He's fluid. He, he shoots a nice ball. There's a lot to like about him and there's a lot of potential, but, um, you know, I just thought last year's draft was stacked. There were just so many good players. So taking lot like guys like Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes or Franz Wagner, I, I actually had Sengun over him too. I was really high on Sengun. Uh, because those guys, you're just capable of winning bigger with those guys, with these, you know, these six eight wings who are, you know, big and strong and long. and can do all sorts of different things. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's where I had Green.
0: Yeah, so I, I actually had him fourth, and I, and I, I I thought I was lower than the consensus on Green, uh, but you're actually lower than I was. Uh, uh so I, I the way I had my big board was. Uh, Cade Cunningham at number one Evan Mobley at number two Jalen Suggs at number three and I actually had uh, at that point I had Jalen Green and then uh, I think I had Scotty Barnes and then uh, um, I'm forgetting the name Jonathan Kaminga uh, right after that so and then I had Shinguna uh, at seven so that was kind of how my big board shaped up and I had, I had similar uh, qualms about Jalen Green right which is like Basically, like I know what Jalen Green's gonna become, right? Like it's pretty clear. It's not hard to it's not hard to picture, right? He's gonna become uh, this super springy, electric shooting guard scoring prospect that's uh, gonna average 20 to 25 points a game on uh, very good efficiency at the NBA level. Uh, gonna be kind of someone you're gonna have to worry about defensively because he is not he he has not shown uh, much there on that end, and I. I think that's kind of worn out to be true. Like he is going to be someone that averages 20 to 25 points at the NBA level on good efficiency, um, electric guard, obviously going to be a problem on defense. And the the reason I, you know, like you, you hear that description and it's like, well, why wouldn't you take that kind of player at the top of the draft? And for me, my qualm was like, well, these kinds of players are really tough to build around. You have to build a very specific team around this kind of shooting guard prospect, right? You have to account for what that player isn't defensively, right? You have to um, find other playmakers because I, I didn't think Jalen Green was someone that would amount to be a great playmaker in the NBA. And you have to kind of form a team around him, account for what he isn't, but also take, in, take into account what he is, which is, you know, he's a very good prospect. Um, does that, Is that kind of why you were lower on him? Like, you just didn't see him being... A high, or you just don't see him. Excuse me, you just don't see him becoming this high impact um, player because you have to account for uh, what he isn't.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of where the Devin Booker comparisons come in. Is if you if you look throughout NBA history and you look at all the best shooting guards, you have guys like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Vince Carter. Well, all those guys were approximately six six with a six eleven wingspan. They are all you know very strong and athletic. And, you know, just very great, well, well, well-rounded basketball players. And it seems like when you go lower than that kind of size, just a little bit lower, it's hard to find guys who are really, really, really great players, like super, super, superstars who who were not elite passers. Like, you, you know, even the, the other shooting guards who are on the all-time list, like James Harden and Dwayne Wade, they're like 6'4", 6'5". Well, they're elite passers. They can legitimately run an offense. And also Dwayne Wade's like the best shot-blocking shooting guard of all time. So they, they, and they both had crazy wingspans too. So when, when you kind of take away the elite passing and you're, you know, under your 6'4", 6'5", with, you know, not the best wingspan, not the, not the strongest frame, then you're not left with that many guys who is like, oh, any team wants that guy. Um, or any team wants to build around those guys. I mean, they're all-stars like Zach Levine, Devin Booker, um, Bradley Beal, but how often do those guys get put on a winning team? Well, we saw Devin Booker get built around perfectly where he had, you know, Chris Paul next to him to help run the offense. He had a bunch of quality wings. He has a good bag, big and DeAndre Eaton. It seemed like the perfect storm for everything. And then they just have been disappointments in the playoffs. I mean, I know last year – they went to the finals, but also they had <laughs> everybody they faced was destroyed by injuries until they faced the Bucks and lost. And, and this year they, they lost in round two to Dallas. And, you know, Devin Booker's statistics took a little hit in the playoffs. Uh, you, you know, it's not quite as good as the regular season because you can put a bigger guy on him and make it harder for him to score. Um, you know, same thing with Zach Levine. This year the Bulls finally make the playoffs and he's only the number two guy on a team that just gets absolutely destroyed in round one. So it just feels like it's really hard to build a winner around those guys because they need to have the ball to succeed. Uh, But then if you get a a superstar who's also better at scoring, well, then they're just the number two guy who can get hunted on D and their offenses get fully utilized. So it's just really awkward and difficult to build a winner around them.
0: Yeah, what I would say is I I think the athleticism is, is a great equalizer, right? Like he is a freakish athlete. And I think... Uh, The fact that he is also a very good shooter off the dribble kind of helps uh, make up for what he isn't, Um, you know, Size-wise, I I totally agree. The size for me was a concern. Like he he had a very average wingspan. He had like a you know decent height, but like it's it's one of those things where it's like you you have the body of like Zach Levine or Devin as you said Devin Booker, and like those guys ended up being uh, very good NBA players. But again, you have building a winner around those kinds of players is particularly tricky because you have to find. A very good rim protector you have to find an awesome point of attack defender you have to find a uh, good playmaking or you have to hope that guy develops into being a, a good playmaker and I think at this point Jalen Green has shown that he is I think uh, I think he's a better playmaker than I gave him credit for around the draft right I think he has a willingness to pass then I that I didn't see uh coming uh especially when you Factor in how he looked at the G League and at Summer League compared to how he looked when uh, towards the end of the season. He was actually like looking to pass, keeping his head up, uh, keep you know looking forward, uh, especially for big men in the paint. So I thought that was a bonus. Um, I just I here's the thing with with him, right? It's like building a winner is gonna be tough. At the same time, you look at you look at what the Suns managed to do. And it's hard not to see a blueprint there, right? Like, yes, it's it's a difficult blueprint to, to follow. You have to have pretty much everything go right. But where Houston was in the draft last year, I mean, I would I would argue that Evan Mobley was someone uh, probably you didn't have to have everything go right, right? You don't you, you don't have to have everything go right to happen to build a winner on Evan Mobley. He's gonna be awesome no matter what context you put him in. But other than Mobley it's very difficult to find someone where it's like, in, in last year's draft where it was like, okay, they, they don't need a perfect contest. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. But, I mean, the, my guy last draft, too, I, I was kind of looking at the flashpoint, the kind of counterexample that it's really easy to build a winner around is Franz Wagner that, you know, even though you might not even be building around him because he's probably not going to be that number one guy that you give the ball, but once you have enough talent around him, that guy's going to be useful for every team because he does all the role-player things excellently. And, um, you know, with uh, a guy like Devin Booker, for instance, yeah, the Suns laid out a blueprint, but also I would say that Chris Paul was the best player on that team and Devin Booker was the number two guy on that team, even as the number two. And, and even as the number two guy with, uh, you know, a, a very good young big in DeAndre Ayton, a great three and D wing in, in Mikhail Bridges, a, a decent three and D wing in, in Jay Crowder. It's still, they were just a buck short, even with great injury like last year, a buck short. This year, perfect regular season. They're a buck short. They don't even make the conference final. So it's like a team, you can, if everything goes right, you can build a team that's in the mix, that, that is a, is, you know, maybe a fringe contender or maybe a low-end actual contender, but you're not going to really break the NBA with a guy like Jalen Green, which maybe isn't, like, the biggest criticism because, you know, it's still like, well...
0: Yeah, there's, like, seven of those guys. Well, well I mean, not, not,
1: not necessarily, um, like, talking about superstars, but I'm thinking of, about guys like, you know, Draymond Green breaks the NBA, right? Did you put him next to Steph Curry? And the Warriors are just unbeatable, right? You put Jalen Green next to Steph Steph Curry, you just have another small guy who who doesn't really, who just doesn't have the ball as much because Steph Curry's better with the ball.
0: Well, he... Here's a counter-argument. Like, isn't the fact that you have to put Draymond next to Steph Curry a weakness in itself? Like, You have to put him next to the greatest shooter of all time. right? And and I'm not saying Draymond wouldn't find team success without Steph Curry. It's certainly not what I'm saying. He's an, a generational defensive player. But you do kind of, when you're trying to build a winner, you do have to account for what he isn't, which is he is not a good three-point shooter, so teams are going to sell out at him every single time. right? And he is not um someone that can lead in the lead offense even though he is a very capable passer right he is someone you have to account for you know he he's not a good shot creator he's not he's not someone that you you have to find complementary pieces to make it work with him and I that's not too dissimilar to what we're describing here in Jalen Green Or, or do you view that differently
1: well, well, the way I would put it is you're going to need some superstar to win a championship regardless. Right. Um, yeah. and I, I, I don't think Jalen Green is going to be that guy. I don't think Devin Booker, Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, none of those guys are going to be the superstar on a championship team on average, I agree. unless they're, yeah. unless they're surrounded by a lot of like Draymond's who are just crazy underrated. And it's just like the perfect, like if you have like Draymond Green and Franz Wagner and Mikhail Bridges, it is just like the perfect, 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 like role players around them. Um, so so you need one of those regardless so I I just think you're you're better off investing in in a guy like Draymond Green uh or or Franz Wagner the guy who's gonna be the perfect support player for when you get that star instead of the guy who's you know like Jalen Green he's gonna help you get out of the playoffs make it to the you know get above 500 you know maybe win a playoff series or two at some point but
0: you're you're saying if if, you're saying if he's your best guy this is the scenario you're describing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He,
1: he, he's not. He's not great at being your best guy, and he's not great at complimenting the other number one guys. You know, yeah. if you put him next to Luka Doncic, well, you still want Luka to have the ball, but then he's going to be defensive. But then he can be hunted on the other end, so you're not getting that much value out of him. You put him next to Steph Curry, you still want Steph to have the ball, but Jalen Green still going to get hunted on the other end. So it's just kind of this kind of tricky thing that once you get to when you're talking about building an elite team, it's just hard to find a good fit unless it's. I don't know, like a situation like Iverson on Philly where he's just surrounded by all just awesome defensive role players and he really gets to just, you know, always have the ball and it's just built around him perfectly, which is just very, very rare.
0: Yeah, so this is kind of what I suspected would happen when I asked you to come on the show, which is, like, I don't disagree with you actually that much. Like, I I, I don't think Jalen Green could be the best player on the championship team. I'm not completely out of hand dismissing that potential, but I think that potential is very small, right? And, like, it, it requires a crap ton of, like, perfect team building, right? Like, everything going right for that guy to be the best player on a championship team. Um, but I think that player can still be, like, the second guy on a championship team. And I think, you know, those guys, you know, they they may not be your superstar caliber talents, right? But they can still be very... Uh, highly sought after guys right And guys who still make max money guys who still you know you need to succeed after you get the superstar talent in-house um you know to complement and help help out like your chris middleton's of the world right obviously chris middleton's bigger better defensively not a perfect comparison but what i'm describing is like a player that you need to complement the Giannis, right and i think if houston views Jalen green as okay that's the franchise guy. That's how we. That's who we build everything around. That's the son for us. Then I would disagree with them. But if they say this is one of our cornerstone talents, and we're still in search of the cornerstone talent, like I would agree with that. Like if that's their viewpoint, like yeah, like one hundred percent. He is one of your cornerstone guys, and you can go. Uh, you you're still in search of that. You know, the guy. But I, in terms of. If if he's like the main guy on a championship team, I just would not rate that team unless he experiences outlier development, right? Which is something we have to talk about, right? Like there's the potential that he bursts his his uh, what I would say his player ar- or archetype, right? He he breaks the mold and is better than that. There's the outside possibility that, that happens. Uh, it's it's a small possibility, but it's it is worth being mentioned. But in general you're still on the hunt for that guy and I would say if Chris Paul was Chris Paul like peak Chris Paul then I would say that Suns team actually beats uh, that Mavericks team pretty fair like pretty handedly like it's just if Chris Paul is your number one guy and he's no longer peak Chris Paul he can't be the best player on a championship team does that make sense like I think I think the the superstar that Devin Booker was paired with, was unfortunately good enough to be better than him, but not good enough to be the best player on a championship team.
1: Yeah, I, I I understand what you're saying, and you know, like you said, you don't have to tweak that much to you know, or you just trade Jay Crowder for like Draymond Green or something, or not maybe not Draymond, but just like, but like you just make the supporting cast a little bit better, and the Suns might get there. I understand what you're saying, um, but I kind of want to go back to your example of Chris Middleton because. Uh, you know, Chris Middleton's made – how many All-Star games has he made? Like maybe one or two? Like he hasn't like made as many as Devin Booker, and Devin Booker is much younger. But I still think you're better off with Chris Middleton as your number two because that guy – if the guy's not going to have the ball all the time, you kind of just want a guy who can defend, who can make threes. I mean, I know Jalen Green can make threes. Uh, but still, Chris Middleton's a good defensive player because have a defensive liability. So, you know, even though common perception might be that, all right, well, you know these other guys are, are better than Chris Middleton. It's like, well, once you have the Giannis, I would take the Chris Middleton, who can do all the role player things well, um, and maybe not maybe not score a high volume as much, but you don't need him to because you already have the other guy to score the high volume.
0: Here's a question: What would we describe as like Paolo Banquero's apex? Like, is, is is Carmelo Anthony like a fair? Like, Obviously, it's not perfect, right? Like, he's bigger than Carmelo. I, I
1: say, I say, I say, like Carmelo Anthony with better with better defense. Let's say, because you okay. know that's w- what you're hoping for. Let's say,
0: okay. Let's say Paolo Banquero hits that apex, right? And he is peak Carmelo Anthony, uh, but better defensively. And the Rockets are able to get very good defenders at point guard, small forward, uh, and center, right? Let's say they build, like and Jalen Green's still there, obviously. And Jalen Green is no longer the best guy on the championship team anymore. He's the second guy to whatever this theoretical ceiling Bonkero reaches. Is it easier to buy him now, right? Is it easier to envision that kind of team reaching the promised land when, you know, he is no longer asked to be that guy. And you've, you've got like your Drew Holiday at point guard. Uh, you've got your, your wing defender at small forward, and you've got your elite rim protector at center. Is, is that easier to envision?
1: Oh yeah, I could definitely envision that, you know, once, once you have enough talent around him, you know, because like we said, like the Suns aren't that far, if you just kind of push the towel a little bit up. So put enough talent around Jalen Green, uh, with Paolo Banchero being the one guy who becomes a superstar, he's number two. Yeah, that could definitely, that could definitely work, and that could definitely have championship potential. Well,
0: I, well, I actually think the Suns. It, what happened in that Mavs series kind of exposed what I think uh, might have happened had they reached the conference finals or NBA finals, which is I, I think the Sun, Chris Paul is just like I love Chris Paul, one of my favorite players of all time. I just don't think he's at that stage of being the best player on a championship team anymore, <laughs> and I don't. I think that would have been that would have been a flaw that was ex, that would have been exposed at any point um, in the playoffs had it not happened in the second round. Right? It just happened to happen in the second round, so we have this heavy microscope on it. I don't think like getting a Draymond over like maybe like whatever player, uh, you know, over um, role player X makes the Suns, you know, substantially closer to a championship ceiling, because I think the number one guy still isn't the number one guy. Does that make, like, I, I think they're they they they're still a hair away, and I think that's kind of what got exposed. Like, that's why I didn't have much confidence in them in last year's NBA Finals, because as much as I love Chris Paul, I agree with you, he is the best player on that team. I don't think he was, I, I don't think he's at that level of, like, Best player on championship team. Like I think, I still think there's like eight or nine guys that fit that description at most, and that's never going to change in the NBA, right? Like you get your rare, you get your oddball uh, Detroit Pistons 0-3 titles, right? But in general, you need one of these eight to nine guys to win a title, and I don't think the Suns had those one of those eight to nine guys.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, Chris Paul when he's at his best he's still incredible, but. You know he's of never course, really yeah. been he he's never he was playing amazing for the Pelican series in the first two games but then uh, what, what really seemed to turn the series is that the, the Mavs just relentlessly hunted him on defense and you know he's a he's always been a great defensive player for his size but you know he's getting older he's not as good on defense and that also wore him down for offense because you know he's a 37 year old man he can't be defending the pick and roll against bigger guys all game and still you know control everything offensively so. You know that kind of. I think that was really where, where his age showed, and it just showed that, like, all right, he, he's not that guy that you can just lean on in the playoffs because he just didn't have the stamina or the size to, you know, deal with being hunted all the time.
0: Yeah, I, I hope this podcast gets Rockets fans off your back because I, I, I do think we're kind of in agreement here in that what you're saying is not that unreasonable. You're just saying he's not that guy. He's not the guy to build around. He is one of the guys and you need to build a very specific tailored team for him to be part of a championship caliber team. Is it, it, am I summing it up too broadly or is is that right?
1: That that's accurate. The only thing I would add is that it, it still is a little bit of an awkward fit once you get that guy and I would maybe try to more, more focus more on guys who won't be a defensive weak link. Um If you don't, if the offense can still operate decently enough without them, um, you know, because you know, if you trade, let's say you get Paolo and he becomes a star, I think you could be better off trading Jalen Green for a Chris Middleton who maybe is a little bit worse offensively, but gives you that extra defensive versatility. Since you already have the number one offensive guy anyway, you don't need Jalen Green to be scoring twenty five points a game. You can just get a guy who scores twenty points a game and has more defensive versatility.
0: Yeah, I, I think just that that elite shot making when you get deeper into the playoffs. I, this is probably like where I would disagree with you a touch. I'd still probably have Devin Booker over that guy, over Chris Middleton. As valuable as that guy, as as um as Middleton is defensively, and I, I agree with you. He is a very valuable piece uh to the Bucks. Um, as, as valuable as he is, I just think that elite that supreme level shot making. Is just so difficult to find and becomes incredibly valuable in the playoffs. Like we were just talking about how that mid-range jumper becomes a weapon. Um, the deeper we get, you get into the playoffs when we're when we're describing Bonkerro, right? And I think guys like Booker and I think even Jalen Green, he's shown he's shown that, he, that they have that in their game and they ha- they can pull that out when defenses take away what tr- what a shot that Chris Middleton is, is very good at, which is the, the three-pointer, right? Like. Like when defenses take that shot away, you're gonna need guys like like your Booker's, like your Greens, to kind of help fill that va- that scoring vacuum that you know your your top guy can't do it all. And Giannis is ridiculous, and he managed to do it all last year, but that's like you know how often are you gonna get a 50 point? 20-point, 20-rebound, uh, 20 20-assist. 20, uh, I don't know what he put up in the NBA Finals. I know it was a ridiculous stat line. How often are you going to depend on your main guy to be able to do that, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. My, my main thing is I would just, uh, for, for, for me to fully agree with you, I would just like to see Jalen Green improve enough on defense that he can't be hunted because it seems like teams are getting a lot smarter about hunting people, right. especially in the playoffs with more on the line. And it's normally these 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 kind of little guys who are either point guards or smaller shooting guards who are the guys who are most commonly getting hunted.
0: Right. Yeah. Like if if he became like Devin Booker is a guy who improved dramatically defensively, right? And he, uh, I'm not I'm not sure was he being hunted uh, in that in that Maverick series. Um,
1: probably not as much as Chris Paul because I know Chris Paul was getting relentlessly hunted. So. Uh, and that 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 was probably you know maybe not as much Devin Booker's fault because uh, I I remember seeing something where it was like the like games three for, through seven was like the five most frequent times Chris Paul's been hunted on defense in his entire career. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I, it makes me feel really bad. I, I, like I, I love Chris Paul and and just seeing him get. Uh, flung through the mud like this especially uh Patrick Beverly like I love Patrick Beverly man like uh, what he what he said yesterday that was unnecessary that was unnecessary clearly coming from a place of uh co- coming from a bitter place uh not it didn't seem to ha- contain even the slightest bit of objectivity uh, in his comments uh but yeah I I, I, I so Devin Booker managed to get uh, improved defensively to a point where um he was not being hunted in the playoffs last year and or, you know, it wasn't hunted in the playoffs this year. So if he can get to that point, I don't I don't ever see Green becoming an above-average defender or, you know, very good. I could think that's pretty much out of the equation. Uh, Size-wise, uh, lateral movement-wise, uh, IQ-wise, I just don't think he's going to ever get there defensively. But if he can get to where Booker was as both a passer and a defensive player, I think he can be your second-best guy in a championship team. I, 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 I do think it's going to require a lot of careful crafting and team build and smart team building. And, um, it requires you more than anything to go get the guy, right. And, uh, keep being in search of that guy, whether that's via trade or via the draft. Uh, and you know, maybe that guy, uh, gets drafted by the Rockets next month. Who knows?
1: Yeah. You know, hopefully, you know, they, 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 are going to get somebody good. Uh, so, you know, I think it is, you know, pretty exciting time to be a Rockets fan. And, you know, Green is, you know, in spite of my criticisms, he is still a good piece. He looks like he has pretty good odds of being a future All Star. Shang Dun, weird guy, but he has a lot of potential. And, you know, this this number three pick, unless they they, they take Jaden Ivey or something out of the blue, it's it's really hard to mess it up.
0: No, it's it, it's gonna be like if they if they take one of these three guys, they're gonna get a very good, very talented player. Um, I I ima- I'd imagine I'd imagine they're gonna explore, uh, you know, maybe uh, toy with the idea of taking Shaden Sharp or Jaden Ivey or Jalen Duran or you know one of these uh, Keegan Murray one of these guys. They're gonna have these guys in their gym. They're or at least they're gonna attempt to have these guys in their gym, but I think they're gonna ultimately take what we all expect, which is one of these three guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Dean. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter and read all your work?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm at Dean on Draft. And, yeah, that's pretty basically it. And, yeah, thanks for having me. It was a good, uh, good time talking basketball with you.
0: For sure. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars because that helps other people find the show. And, yeah, guys, good night.